Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Kalos Church. My name is Pradeepan, one of the pastors here. And for those of you in the room and those of us online, can we give it up to the Lord and thank him for all of his goodness, powerful worship. God's doing amazing things in here. You know, I'm just, I'm just amazed that after being a church online for over a year, that we are here worshiping together, lifting up the name of the Lord. We haven't had to shut down our church. We've had enough finances to keep our rent in the hotel. We've gained in leaders. We are a growing movement where people are experiencing salvation. We're baptizing more people. I am just so thankful we're at this point in our ministry lives and our community life. Can I get a good amen? I mean, honestly, there are moments where we didn't know what this moment would be like, but we're here still worshiping. We're here still praying. We're still here lifting up the name of Jesus, and I will glorify the Lord for that. And so we are continuing our series in Ephesians. We are starting with chapter 5 today and continuing through chapter 5 and chapter 6. I'm so excited, and I want to start off by asking this question. Who here hates uh, obeying directions? Just raise your hand for me. All right, thank you. Thank you for obeying my directions and following that. Thank you for responding. Who here just hates submitting? All right, now, where are my people at where you love submitting? You can't get enough of it. You're just like, give me some directions. Give me a list, and I will accomplish it. Just give me some clear directions, and I will submit. It will be my greatest pleasure. Well, today, if you've been reading along with us through the book of Ephesians, we are talking about the word submit. It is in this scripture. It is a little controversial. It is a little awkward. It is something that people hate when they read the scripture. And so we're going to address this very difficult scripture passage, and we are going to talk about submit. Everybody say submit. Come on. Submit means yielding to the will of another person. And when I think of submission, I honestly think of like an animal kingdom where there's an alpha male and like dogs will oftentimes they will bow down or roll over, get on their backs. I have a mother-in-law. I love her very much. A while ago, she bought this dog. She thought it was going to be a big dog. A mastiff, turns out, it was a wiener dog. And this dog was so submissive. When I would walk into the room, this dog would not only bow, but would roll onto his back and then pee into his own mouth (laughs) as the ultimate act of submission. Here I am. I'm not aggressive. I'm not trying to dominate you. Let me show you. I'm peeing into my own mouth ultimate submission. His name was Samson, by the way, (laughs) because they thought he was going to be a big dog. Submission. You know, submission in our culture is seen as this ugly word, like a dog peeing into his own mouth. Jeanette, if you're watching, I apologize for telling that story. I love you and Samson. And uh, it's an ugly word, but I believe that when we look at the scripture, it can be made beautiful. When we look at it in context, it can be made wonderful and something that we actually elevate and agree with. Some of us are already crossing our arms, feeling a little tension, but I believe it that when we look at the scriptures, we will see the beauty of the word submission. 
You know, when I, I go to a stop sign and I'm driving, I don't really deal with road rage, but there's one circumstance where I, I feel road rage rising up in me. It's when I'm at a four-way stop sign and someone clearly gets there before me, and then instead of following the rules of the road, they do a small gesture. And they tell me to go in front of them. I hate it so much. They're like, hey, I insist you go first. And I'm like, just follow the rules of the road, and it will be a much safer experience. Don't you dare tell me how to live my life. I will go when I please. I will not submit to you. Just go. Drive. I hate you. I will fight you. Go. Get out of my sight. I I don't want to submit. So besides that situation, I believe the word submit can be beautiful. Can I get a good amen? Amen. And so why don't we read what the text says in Ephesians 5. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for her. In verse 31, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And then in chapter 6, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So here we see this scripture which in our culture is a little foreign. Let me give a summary. So basically, it gives us a list of how we are ought to conduct ourselves as families, as followers of Jesus. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Now, one of these is a little bit more controversial than the others. Ladies, maybe you can help me discover which one. (laughs) When we hear this scripture, wives, submit to your own husbands, we're like, great, another sermon like this. We immediately imagine this picture. Let's put this picture on the screen of what it means to submit. To order a Christian husband, click submit. (laughs) You know, in this scripture, we often cringe when we read it, and we're like, Thank the Lord I'm not married. (laughs) I don't have to submit. Or you're like, have you seen my husband? There's no way I'm submitting to him. He doesn't want me to submit to him. We're like, "Uh, this is just old-fashioned. I've seen this scripture used to abuse, dominate, domineer, really suppress women and oppress women, make them feel like they are lesser in the church that they're not equal to men, and it is something that can make us kind of react with a trauma response or fear. What is the pastor going to say here? 
And I totally believe, though, that when we look at the scripture in context, it can be made beautiful. And we might think this is abusive language. This is why I'm not a Christian. I knew you're going to read this old scripture. I knew Christianity was so controlling. This is why I haven't gone to church in years. This is oppressive. While that feels that way right now, the original audience of the scripture would have thought the exact opposite thought. And so we need to make sure we read this in context or we're going to con the text. I'm just a vessel. Just a vessel. Point that praise to the Lord. So what is the context? Context is something called patria potestas. Everyone say patria potestas. Come on, say it in a Roman accent. I don't know what that is. Patria potestas. Here, here's the context. It's a phrase that was used in Roman culture. Ephesus was under Roman rule, and it means power of the father. So back in this time, the father had complete control over the family. That meant a father could disown a family member, a wife, a child. It means that they could kill their wife or child, and it would be totally legal. They could punish their family however they wanted. It means that they could sell their wife or their child as they would a slave for a sum of money because they had control, they had complete power and authority over the family. So when the original readers heard this whole thing about submit to your husbands, they wouldn't have been like, huh. They would have been like, duh. You know, because this is what the whole society does. And so we see author Paul is starting off with something that people already are familiar with, people already agree with, and this is patria potestas. And so then Paul, he goes into this culture where women dominate, where women uh, are, are subjects under their husbands, like a slave would be under a master. And Paul, the apostle, following the example and the words of Jesus, comes in, with a totally different idea. And he says in Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. He introduces the idea of mutual submission as a framework for submission. And so when it comes to submission, it's mutual. In fact, in the scripture, the verb submit, where it says wives, submit to your husbands, in the original Greek, the word submit isn't even there. It's borrowing the verb from this verse that says submit one to another. And so we need to understand this in context. Let me read this phrase I wrote to get it right. Right before Ephesians 5 says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, the scripture says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Yes, a wife should submit to her husband, but don't forget a husband is also called to submit to his wife. In the kingdom, we submit to one another because we are firstly submitted to Christ. And so it is mutual. Look at someone and say, it's mutual. Submission is mutual. In the kingdom, everybody submits to everybody. In the kingdom, we do this not out of reverence for our spouse or one another. We submit out of reverence for Christ. That word reverence is the same word we get the word awe. It's because Christ 
has demonstrated a new ethic. Christ has given us a great example. Christ has demonstrated a new way of being human and living life. And out of reverence for Christ, I will submit to my household. I will submit to one another. And that in Roman culture changed everything. I want to read this quote that really shows the power that Christianity brought to elevate women worldwide. As Christianity spread throughout the world, its redemptive effects elevated women and set them free in many ways. The Christian ethic declared equal worth and value for both men and women. Husbands were commanded to love their wives and not exasperate their children. These principles were in direct conflict with the Roman institution of patria potestas, which gave absolute power of life and death over a man's family, including his wife. When patria potestas was finally repealed by an emperor who's moved by high biblical standards, what a tremendous effect that had on the culture. Women were also granted basically the same control over their property as men, and for the first time, mothers were allowed to be guardians of their children. The biblical view of husbands and wives as equal partners caused a sea change in marriage as well. Christian women started marrying later, and they married men of their own choosing. This eroded the ancient practice of men marrying child brides against their will, often as young as 11 or 12 years old. The greater marital freedom that Christianity gave women eventually gained wide appeal. Today, a Western woman is not compelled to marry someone she does not want, nor can she legally be married as a child bride. But the practice continues in parts of the world where Christianity has little or no presence. And so we see that this is an empowering scripture culturally. We see the word of God elevating women. And the scripture throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament boldly declares that men and women are created equally. Can I get a good amen? I mean, we totally believe that. We totally endorse that. We totally empower that. Women are equal, powerful, and they have every right in the kingdom of God. And this is even from the origin story of the creation of all humanity. In Genesis 2, it says, But for Adam, so this was the creation of woman, but for Adam no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And so I just want to ask you this. What did Adam and Eve do on their first date? They shared ribs. But I want you to notice, even in this origin story, God (laughs) creates Eve out of Adam's rib on his side. He didn't create her from the head above or the feet below, but from the side so that they could walk side by side equally. And it was united around the mission. God wanted Adam to take dominion over this land, to bring names to the animals, and then he found that there was no suitable helper for him, and so Adam did not get a wife until he was on mission. Men, that's a word for you. Get on mission, and then the Lord is going to provide a suitable helper for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so, uh, so, so women are equal. They're 
created from the side. And sometimes when we see original translations of this Genesis 2, the woman is called something that kind of makes us all cringe. The woman is called a help meet. Have you ever heard that? It's like, what is a help meet? Like, that does not seem like something I want to be. Well, the word help meet that's translated here in Genesis 2 is helper. It says, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. But this is the Hebrew word Azer. I'm not Hebrew, so I may be pronouncing it wrong. But Azer is the word where we get helper. This word primarily is used in the Old Testament to describe God as military aid, as God who is a savior in the midst of opposition, threats, damage. I mean, we see scriptures like Psalm 33, 20. It says, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. That's the same word used to describe women. And so you could really call woman a co-warrior with men. And so it, it's not just like this, uh, this lowly position, this someone who has no power. No, the same word that's used to describe women is the same used word God uses to describe himself as a warrior who can overthrow armies. Now that's a word I can get behind. Amen. And so we see the scripture is so empowering to women from the book of Genesis to the way Jesus lived to now this verse in Ephesus. And so at Kalos Church, man, uh, people oftentimes are like, wow, you have some strong women in your congregation. And to that, I say yes and amen. In fact, we had a pastor visit, and I said, what was your first impression of your church? He goes, your church is filled with strong, spirit-filled women leaders. And I'm like, that is the best compliment you could ever give. Because these women are powerful. They're on fire for the Lord. They're using their lives to advance the kingdom, to help people experience the beauty of Jesus. I have an amazing partner in life in Amritha. She truly is someone we walk side by side. We just celebrated nine years of marriage. But the thing that brought us together is we are now celebrating 14 years of ministry together. Preaching the word together. Praying for people together. Building something that glorifies the Lord. Following in the great example of Jesus. Remember, in this time of patriotism, the testimony of a woman wasn't even valid in court, right? And now Jesus wants to start the hope of all humanity, building the church, and you know who he tells to share the gospel for the first time? Women. So he trusts the whole plan of sharing the gospel by trusting women to share the news about his resurrection first. So anybody who shares the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is following in the footsteps of women who were sent in power to go tell the disciples, Jesus is not dead, he is alive, he has risen from the grave, and we follow in that great tradition today. Can I get a good amen for the women of God who are powerful, who are strong, and are making a difference in our community? And so I love it, from Jesus sharing the gospel with women to share with the disciples, from in the New Testament, we see Priscilla and Aquila who had a house and had a church in their house to Junia in the New Testament who's called an apostle. We celebrate women throughout the scripture.
And that's why we are so happy to have a Pastor Amritha in the house. And so we submit to one another. And yes, wives submit to husbands, but wives also submit, or wives submit to husbands, but husbands also submit to wives. And so sometimes we're looking at this and we're like, okay, okay. But then Paul, in the Roman culture, he says something even crazier. This would not have registered to them at all. He says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What? Love my wife like Christ loved the church? Wait a minute. I know how that story ends. He gave up his life on the cross. He dies. Yes. Some of you are like, but you need to preach the word. You just need to say, wives, submit to your husbands. All right, yes, wives, submit to your husbands. But, hey, I, I just want you to notice that, hey, wife, if you, if you have a man who's saying, you need to submit to me because I'm your husband, wife, you can also say, you need to give up your life for me. <laughs> right? Like Jesus gave up his life for the church. So when he says submit, you just say give up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is a scripture, right? <laughs> Amen? <laughs> so he doesn't say, husbands, make sure your wives submit. He doesn't say, husbands, make sure you domineer and dominate. He doesn't say, husbands, make sure you do all of this harsh stuff. He says, husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave himself up for her. And so Christian husbands, point number two, are called to give their lives away, not demand their way. That's what we're called to do. We're called to give our lives away, not demand our way. I want to give you an example of what happens in our marriages. I'm going to ask Pastor Amritha to come up here. Pastor Amritha, come up here right now, I command you. (laughs) 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 So as you can probably feel right now, there's some tension in our marriage. (laughs) <laughs> so in our in our relationships and you, and you might be thinking okay i'm not married this doesn't apply to me this applies to all of us because it's not just talking about husband and his wife it's talking about jesus and the church right and this is what the example is being used as and so there oftentimes is tension in our relationship and that's because we're often trying to get the other person to come to our side we're trying to get them to lean into us i need you to love me more. I need you to be more affectionate. I need you to watch what I'm watching on Netflix. I need you to stop watching our show without me. I need you to do the dishes more. I need you to look better. I need you to behave better in front of my friends. I need you to make more money, get a better job. And so we have all these demands to get people to do what we want. And because Both of us are doing that. We're leaning, trying to pull the other to our side. We're trying to demand our way. What happens is we're further apart, and there's tension in our relationships. Anybody resonating with this today? And what Christ calls us to do, the example he gives us is, he says instead of demanding our way, we are to give our lives away. We are to give our lives to the other person. So I found that there is less tension in our relationship when I give up and I choose to walk towards my spouse. 
And look, the tension is eliminated when I say, hey, how can I give up my life for you? How can I give my strength for your benefit? How can I leverage my position for your sake? How can I come up underneath your burden and desires so that you feel loved, so that you feel like I'm loving you like Christ loves the church who gave up his whole life? And when we stop trying to pull someone to our side, and some of us are leaning in so much to our relationship that we're just falling over because the other person just keeps on backing away. And I found usually the person with the most control in a relationship has the least love because love, desire, love calls us to give up. Love causes us to die, to relinquish control, to say, my life belongs to you. And Jesus, he doesn't just give this command to husbands. Remember, he says, a new commandment I give you, in the same way I have loved all of you, you ought to love one another. And so wives, you're not off the hook. You're called to love your husbands too. And men, we're called to submit to our wives as well, out of reverence for Christ, out of his example, his beauty, his love. And so I want to encourage you to look towards one another Walk towards one another in love and see the tension released from your marriage. Thank you, Pastor Amitha. Let's give it up for Pastor Amitha. So eliminate tension in your relationship by giving your life away instead of demanding your way. And so I'm still very much learning this, so I have to constantly remind myself of the example of Jesus. What did Jesus do with his position? What did he do with his power? Let's read in John 13. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So, everybody say so. So So what did he do with that position? So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. So Jesus leveraged his position to serve others. If you want to be a good head, start by washing feet. Because we live in a kingdom where the first is last, the greatest is the servant of all, that we aren't just called to love ourselves, but our self-care in the kingdom of God always leads to self-share. Where we are not a gospel of self-preservation, we are a gospel of self-sacrifice. In the same way Christ gave up his life, so do we. And so we don't demand our way, we give our lives away. And everybody said, amen. And so if you want to be selfish and live for yourself, do not get married and definitely do not follow Christ. Because it's not the way the kingdom operates. So how, how do we do this practically? How do we give our lives up practically? I want to I challenge you with a question that I, I learned from a pastor named Andy Stanley that has really helped me kind of understand how do I submit and sacrifice in service to this saint and my spouse, Amrita. Okay. Ask, what can I do for you? It's super simple, but this communicates a lot. What can I do for you? This is a bridge to mutual submission. 
This is a bridge to submitting, asking this regularly. How can I leverage my position to benefit you? How can I use my strength, my time, my talent, and my treasure to be a blessing to you? Because isn't that what we want from our relationships? Just to know that the other person in their heart is saying, I am here for you. I am here to help you. I sense that you're carrying a burden. I sense that you have hopes and aspirations for a relationship. And this works for friendships. This works for marriages. This works for dating relationships. It is revolutionary. What can I do for you? It communicates that I, I care about you. And, you know, sometimes people ask that question, and I'm like, do I have to do the thinking for you? <laughs> Has someone ever asked you, how can I help you? I just sometimes want to ask, what's your budget? <laughs> how can I help you, Pastor? What's your budget? How much time do you got? But sometimes even better than asking what can I do for you is, is seeing a need and taking the lead and saying, hey, I noticed you're dealing with this. I noticed that maybe you're feeling a little insecure and you could use some affirmation. I noticed that you've had a big day and I just went ahead and washed the dishes for you. Hey, I noticed that you're feeling a little bit lonely, so I, I planned a night out for us. I mean, it's just saying, what can I do for you? It's a posture of service. Because in Christianity, we love being called a servant, but not many of us like being treated like a servant. We want people to recognize us and affirm us and thank us or pay us. And we have so many of these relationships that are contractual in nature. It's a, a, a tit for tat, which is a, a funny phrase. <laughs> it, it, it's a, you scratch my back, and I'll scratch your back. You give me a tat, and I'll give, you know, it's a weird <laughs> phrase. <laughs> it's a weird phrase. And, and we're not used to this just generosity of how can I give up my life for you? How can I lay down all of me for all of us? But what it does is it shifts the tone of your relationship. I, I can be a little lazy in, in the household, to be honest. Domestic life still isn't very natural to me. I, I'm still not used to initiating, like, cleaning the dishes or cleaning the house or changing a diaper. And Amritha, she can sometimes feel resistance from me before she even asks a question because she's carrying so much as a full-time pastor, as a full-time mom, as a full-time wife. She carries a huge weight on her shoulder. And the last thing she wants to do is have a fight with me and so sometimes before even asking for me to help, she feels resistance. But then sometimes I'll just come up and call her or text her and say, hey, is there anything I can do for you? And I just feel the, the tension release because I'm walking towards her. I see her. I'm face to face. And actually, that's one, that's one of the, the, the Hebrew definitions for that word azer. The second part of that is that Eve was created out of Adam as something similar as someone where they could look face to face, some translations would say. And when she notices I'm looking at her face to face, oh, there's peace and harmony in our home. How could your relationships change if you did that posture with one another? How can I help you? How can I be there for you? How can I work on our marriage this next month, and then will you follow up with me on it? What can I do for you? You know, we went to our, our counselor actually last week, and she said that to us. You guys have kind of this contractual philosophy in your relationship. Hey, you watch the kids last week, so I'll watch the kids this week. Or, 
hey, I watched the kids today. You have to watch them tomorrow. You know, it's this kind of con- contractual thing. And she said, hey, I, I just want you to face towards each other and grab each other by the hands. And she said, just share what you want. What do you most desire from one another? And so we just held hands and we're like, man, I, I just seek, uh, you know, just adoration and intimacy in our relationship. I just want to know that you're here to serve me and that you, even when you're not with me, you, you hold me in your mind. I just need to know you're, you're here for me in the good and the bad, even when I'm not performing perfectly. Can you just tell me that every once in a while? And something happened as we were just looking at each other. There was a connection. There was an intimacy. There was a beauty. Because instead of pulling the other, we leaned into one another. And I want this for your relationships. Because this is the example Christ has given us. Christ, he, 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 he says, lay down your lives for your wives like Christ loved the church because this is all connected. It's the nature of covenant relationship, not contractual. It's Christ saying, I'm, I'm here for you even if you don't perform. I'm going to love you. I'm going to adore you. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to elevate you. You're the bride of Christ. I'm going to empower you. Bride, the bride of Christ is the church. I'm going to empower you, church, for works and ministry. So if you don't think women can't minister, then the church can't minister because <laughs> it's the bride of Christ. I'm going to help you be all that you've been called to be, and it's, it's beautiful. And so we see throughout the scriptures this theme that our love story, how we treat one another, ultimately points to God's love story for us. Let me read this. In Genesis 1 and 2, the Bible opens up with a woman and a man. In Revelation 21 and 22, the Bible closes with a woman and a man. The Bible opens up with a wedding, and it ends with a wedding. It opens with a marriage, and it ends with a marriage. Your Bible is essentially a love story. Jesus is not committed to the church because he has to be. He's committed to the church because he wants to be. And so I believe that submission has been made ugly by abuses and domineering spirits, but when we see a Christ Jesus, the anointed one who lays down his life to lift us up. It is beautiful. And so I want to challenge you. Ask each other this question. What can I do for you? And when you want to ask that question the least, that's when you need to ask it the most. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for this word. And Jesus, I pray that we would be like you. Thank you for laying down your life for us. Thank you for giving us a fresh start. Thank you for showing us a better way that we would be a church, a people, a spiritual family that would elevate women, that would empower and bless and stand in awe of our women ultimately because of our awe for you, Jesus Christ. We pray, and everybody said, amen. Can we give the Lord a round of applause? (laughs) Amen and amen.